2: Your place in the universe where science and pop culture collide. Star Talk begins right now. This is Star Talk, Cosmic Queries Edition. Of course, I got Chuck Nice with me to make this happen. Chuck. What's up, Neil? All right, dude. You know, it's not, it's not often we get one of my own people in a, in a Cosmic right. Queries. That's Just right. Just my 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 kindred spirit. And today. We've got Professor Hair Doctor Brian Cox across the pond from the UK. Brian, welcome to Star Talk, dude. Not your first rodeo with us. No,
3: it isn't. No, we've been doing this for a few years now. I think it was about 10 yeah, years
2: yeah. Ago. Plus, I've been a guest on your on your show yeah. uh, a couple of times. I've been in the UK. I was there live. You got an audience and stuff. So that that was fun. And so you let me get your make sure I get your bio. So you're a professor of particle physics, University of Manchester. That sounds very specific. It's not, you're not just mm-hmm. professor of physics, right? Yeah. Uh, particle. particle physics. Yeah.
3: I mean, I, my, my research history is I've worked, I worked at the particle accelerators around the world, actually, including Fermilab in Chicago, uh, the okay. Daisy in Hamburg, oh. and CERN
2: in Geneva. So that's the part. Yeah, physics. the big one, CERN. Yeah, the okay. big one. Yeah, good. And so out of the UK, you've hosted multiple TV shows. Uh, the one I remember most is The Universe. And you also did one on the solar system,
1: correct? Correct, me, yep. if I'm wrong. Solar system. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and you got another one. That was in- uh, that. was the local version of that travel show. <laughs> yeah. yeah, this is the bit that we might be able uh, to yeah. make it. the great, the greater travel show was the universe, <laughs> and you were like, by the way, check out this neighborhood. Yeah, uh-huh. we're
2: going to do multi versions. I
1: think. And you got
2: another one, the, uh, Brian Cox's Adventures in Space and Time. And uh, for me, what's most important is that you have come stateside you have crossed you've crossed the ocean to give a multi-city stage theater tour yeah. of yeah. the universe this is this is bold hairy and audacious <laughs> i love it yeah i love it and by the time this posts uh you're in the middle of the tour this you know this feels like a little bit cuz you got that beatles haircut it feels a little bit like the british invasion you know Ooh. coming across the You know, taking us, putting us in a new place that we didn't even know we could land. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah, nothing wrong with that. Very cool. So,
1: Chuck, you you collected questions from our Patreon supporters. Indeed, we do have them. Yeah. And, uh, of course, you know, our, our listeners very excited. Uh, to ask Brian questions. So do you want to jump in? Yeah, so yeah let's, let's
2: go straight ahead.
1: Right, what do you have? All right. Uh, here we go. Let's and and start. I am I'll just shut up this whole
2: time because I got nothing to add. No, if there's a little thing I'll add, Brian, I'll add it. If I'm oh, not Brian missed something, I will come in, but otherwise, I'm just going to shut up here. Well, okay, we, should, we, can, okay. we
3: can take them together, can't we? Cuz you
1: know, you know the answers. <laughs> don't, don't worry, Brian. Don't you ain't got to take that serious for a second. <laughs> <laughs> Or, or, you know, but listen, or, it's a I, if, testament, wait, wait, it's a testament Neil. What? Neil is so excited about the universe that he cannot contain himself. <laughs> and I, I admire that. Okay. When anything, which I cannot believe, as long as Neil has been an astrophysicist, that he still gets this reaction. When something is said, It you see him go like this. Oh, 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 <laughs> oh. <like, laughs> I know. I'm like, run up. A- Dude, seriously, <laughs> how long have you been doing this? I know that feeling. I know. Okay. Exactly. It's like yeah.
2: the, the, the third grade kid in the front row who knows the answer, but the teacher's not yeah. picking on him. Exactly. Right, yeah. right. Okay.
1: Well, hey, listen, that's cool, though, man. That's 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 awesome. Plus, so right, Brian, if, if we got to do a nerd fight, I'm, you know, I,
2: I get those lights, i, I sharpened my hand. nerd my nerd utensils yep. here, so I'll be ready for you.
1: Okay, Chuck, give it to us. All right. This is uh, Marcus. Gustafsson, Gustafsson, who says, hello and greetings from Sweden. If the strength of gravity happened to be a little stronger or a little bit weaker than it is, how different would our universe be? Ooh. It's, a, it's a good question, <sighs> and it's
3: this is widely debated, actually, because... Um, there's a question of how much you can change the the fundamental properties of nature. So do you say the strength of gravity, the mass of the electron, the way the Higgs field works, all those things, such that you have a radically different universe. And actually, it's quite hard because you can change some things and then change something else, and it kind of balances the change out. and, And so it's quite a controversial area, actually. But broadly speaking, if gravity were too strong, all else being equal, then things would collapse ultimately into black holes very quickly. So the early universe would not have formed extended structures like galaxies and solar systems, uh, or stars may be very short-lived and and so on. So you you can change the universe such that you would not have life in the universe if you increase the strength of gravity too much. But also you can decrease it too much and then stars and galaxies don't form in the early universe. And again, you probably don't have a living universe. Now, you, you could, the, the complication comes when you say, okay, well, what if in the early universe, the, the slightly over dense regions were a bit denser, which would have something to do with um, a theory we called inflation, possibly, or something, that, you know, the way the Big Bang was, and then you turn gravity down a bit, can you kind of compensate? And it's true, you can. So it becomes an extremely dif- difficult modeling challenge. And so you'll see research papers on this. How can you change the things and fine-tune things? But then broadly speaking, that's what happens. If it is too strong, then everything collapses into black holes. And if it is too weak, nothing forms at all.
2: Okay, so that's the, wow. phys- that's the physicist answer. Okay, now we'll give you the astrophysicist yeah. answer. Okay. Wow. <laughs> in, right. in graduate astrophysics 101, okay, one of the first calculations we do is what happens to the luminosity of a star if you change the gravitational constant, okay? Ooh. It's a calculation we do, all right? So you, what you do is you, you you put a little parameter there and see what happens to that parameter as you run through the calculations for a star's luminosity. And what you find is that the luminosity of a star is extremely sensitive to the value of Newton's gravitational constant, to mm. the seventh power, okay? Wow. So so what's interesting about that is if the gravitational constant were different, slightly higher earlier in the universe than today, uh, as, as, as Brian can attest, there are whole branches of, of physics that think about and wonder and worry about whether the constants have actually been constant, all right? But forget whether we can. We have godlike powers to just change it and see what happens. Were they always this great? Did they change over time? So you can look at what, how sensitive it is, and constrain how much it could have possibly changed, because you would see stars of enormous luminosities living out their lives very quickly in the early universe, and you don't see that. So it's, ah. to, the, it's, it's to the seventh power of that term that the luminosity would be affected. And seventh power is it's that times that times that times that times that, okay, all, all through. So we actually find that number uh, in intro astrophysics graduate school.
1: And can you define luminosity for me? It's not, because if you're saying that, it's it's not just brightness. Oh, yeah, yeah, you yeah, no, yeah keep...
2: so here it is. It's simple. Right. This, this example is rapidly becoming obsolete, but take a 100-watt light bulb,
1: okay? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Okay, what is that? Right. Okay. In the yeah, old exactly. days,
2: there was like these yeah. bulbs that got. That's hot. like
1: okay. Now here's what you do first. Uh, <laughs> you dial up your grandmother on a rotary phone. <laughs> so, so the, the wattage is its
2: luminosity. So no matter what distance I put it from you, it will always be a hundred watt bulb.
1: Okay, gotcha. As I get it right. farther away, it gets dimmer and dimmer and dimmer. So that would be its brightness. That's all. Right. So that's it. So okay. So yeah. you're saying that gravity is like a string on that on that. Uh, on the light itself, kind of like that would be making it less— No, no, it would be like a knob
2: on it. Like would a knob turning it down. Yeah,
1: yeah, Thank you. Right. So it's, instead of pulling it back, it's turning down the lot. Okay, correct. that's cool, Yeah, so it's, it's a dimmer or, or a thing it's on, a dimmer. on the bulb right. itself. Yeah. 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 There it is. Let's make the universe sexy, baby. <laughs> dim- <laughs> Let's dim the lights. Hey, you know. <laughs> How would you like a little cosmic champagne? <laughs>
2: Next! Time to go to the next question. Time to go to the next question. I'm enjoying this.
1: (laughs) You like the sexy universe, Brian? (laughs) I'm going to use some. I'm making notes. I'm going (laughs) to... All right, let's go to uh, Sandra Bayani. And Sandra says, Is it possible that the laws of physics change beyond our cosmic horizon so that all of our theories about multiverses stop working and stop making sense? Greetings, fellow Earthling. I cannot get enough of this show. Please, whatever you do, never stop this podcast. Oh,
2: Chuck, did you just add that? No, I did <laughs> I really did. <laughs> Actually, I, mean, I love that question. That, yeah, I love that question, question because it brings in our horizon and multiverses and the very theories that predict a multiverse work in our universe. Why should they work in another? We're going to take a break, and when we come back... We will get right to the heart of that question with our special guest today. He's a special guest to me, Brian Cox, from over in the UK. We'll be right back.
1: Working moms have way too many to-dos. Switch to h and Block and have an expert do your taxes for you. That's me, too. And at Comfort Hotels, you'll enjoy free hot breakfast with fresh waffles, great pools for the entire family, and spacious rooms. Hey, that's me, too. I guess I'm just going to have to stay at all of them. Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. Book direct at choicehotels.com, where travel comes true.
0: Bring everyone together for a great time with the Nintendo Switch system. Get the whole family in on the fun with exciting games that everyone can enjoy, like Super Mario Brothers, Wonder, Animal Crossing, New Horizons and more. Nintendo Switch has three different play modes all in one system. Play in TV mode, tabletop mode or handheld mode when you're on the go. Visit Nintendo.com US Switch to learn more. Games rated E for everyone.
3: I'm Joel Cherico, and I make pottery. You can see my pottery on my website, CosmicMugs.com. Cosmic Mugs: Art that lets you taste the universe every day. And I support Star Talk on Patreon. This is Star Talk with Neil deGrasse Tyson.
2: We're back, Star Talk Cosmic Queries. This is everything physics because I got one of my people here. One, one of my. One of my uh, science and education brethren, Brian Cox from over in the UK, who, uh, they call him a rock star over there, and we've said this on his previous appearances, but it's worth repeating that this man had a number one song on the pop charts in the UK. So you're a literal and figurative rock star of science. Am I, have I overstated that? Brian? No, I, I think, you think have I have understated that. it, if anything. <laughs> <laughs> so what was the name of the song again that you performed? The, the most famous
3: song is a song called Things Can Only Get Better, which you will say correctly is again, runs a
2: counter to the second law of thermodynamics, and you'd be right. Oh, yes. So it's an inaccurate <laughs> song. But uh, yeah. Yeah, sometimes you got to break some eggs to make an omelet, yeah. you know, as they say. All right, let's keep going. So Chuck, we left off with a brilliant question about here we are in our universe that has our own horizon, and we come up with our own theories of the universe. And one of them is that there might be a multiverse. So beyond our horizon, if it's not in our universe, why should we even believe that the rules that predict a multiverse would even exist? I love hey, that. Tell, yeah.
3: um, so our horizon, first of all, that there is a, a limit to how far we can see, um, which is the, the fact that our universe is of a finite age, or let's say there's been 13.8 billion years since the Big Bang. And so there's a there's a finite distance you can see because light travels at a finite speed. So we are very sure that there are galaxies way beyond our horizon, but essentially the light has not had time to reach us from them. And um, now, actually, as Neil said in the la- the answer to the last question, um, you can ask that you can say, well, observationally, do we see any evidence of the laws of nature uh, changing as we look out to the most distant galaxies? And the answer is no we have no evidence that they change in the patch of the universe we can see. So that's the observational point. Um, But when you start to talk about the laws of nature in different regions of the universe, or multiverse, as you said, then it becomes more interesting. Um, One multiverse, there are lots of different kinds of multiverse, but one of them is called the inflationary multiverse. So we have a theory called eternal inflation, which essentially leads to the idea that there are perhaps an infinite number of um, bubble universes of which ours is one. And the piece that we can see, the observational, the the, the little piece we can observe is a patch in one bubble universe amongst perhaps an infinite number of bubble universes in the inflationary multiverse. And those theories do lend themselves potentially to, to the laws of nature in each bubble possibly being different. And the way I sometimes picture it is like a snowstorm with snowflakes So every snowflake is different um, because it's had a different formation history. Um, But there's something similar about them all, which goes to the underlying structure, which is to do with the water molecule itself. So there's something similar. There's an underlying framework, but every snowflake is different. And the, the inflationary multiverse can be like that. So you can imagine that the laws we see, things like the strength of gravity, sort of crystallize out. As these bubble universes form from the uh, the, the, the potential, which is the, this thing called inflation, that's potentially going on all the time. So, so it's possible that different universes have different um, emergent laws, things like the strength of gravity. And um, we, we, I think, most physicists probably all expect that there'll be some kind of underlying framework, which could something that we don't know what it is, right? Something like string theory or something. Which underlies the whole thing.
2: Um, so that uh, maybe Neil wants to add. I love your snowflake analogy, but suppose that uh, do you have enough latitude in your eternal inflation inflationary multiverse model to have a universe that has five pointed snowflakes instead of six? I mean, is how much room do you have to just? make stuff up?
3: <laughs> we don't know. This goes back to, it links to something called the string landscape, which um, Leonard Susskind actually wrote a great book called The Cosmic Landscape a while ago, detailing this theory. So when you look at string theory, which... Just means- remind
2: me, Leonard Susskind is the one who's a big exponent of the holographic universe. Yes. That's the same yes. guy. He's one of the, yes. he's
3: been at the cutting edge of physics for decades, right? And um, so th- in the string landscape, the idea is that... Um, In string theory, it turns out you can have, there's a number that they calculate. I don't know how they do it, actually, but it's something, well, I do know how they do it. It's it's something to do with all the extra dimensions being curled up and stuff. It doesn't matter. But essentially 10 to the power 500 different possibilities. So one with 500 noughts after it. These are the different ways that you can produce um, laws of physics like the ones we see from the underlying theory. And that was seen as a, really disappointing. That's a
2: lot of wiggle room right well, it there. Was, it, yeah. but,
3: but, but the way I see it, it's, it's almost like saying, we understand DNA. So in biology, we have a theory, we have these things, A, C, T, and G, right? the four different bases that come together to form DNA. And it's like saying, okay, so there's an underlying theory. It's pretty simple. It, it's the double helix. It's chemistry. Out of that, it's like saying, right, predict a human being.
1: So of yeah, course,
3: you can't. Do Because there are many different combinations of DNA, and we have no understanding yet of which ones would work and which ones wouldn't, and which ones can be realized by evolution and which ones can't. You know, it's just... It's it's an
2: astronomical number of combinations of just to make humans, let alone all forms of life. So it's like saying we understand
3: the basic chemistry that gives us that thing, DNA, but then from that, predicting a particular instance of that, an organism is of course it depends on its history, it depends on all sorts of things. And it's,
1: it's the same. However, can you, if you look at that like, um, I don't know, an alphabet to create a language, yes. um, can you rule out the nonsense? For instance, if you know English, you know that uh, pp 5 is not a word, yes. <laughs> okay? <laughs> so, yes, right? There's a grammar. So are you able to kind of rule out the nonsense that, okay, these things would not happen. And so even though it is a possible combination, we know that it's kind of gibberish. How do we narrow that?
3: Well, I mean, we we don't. We don't know. We haven't got the expertise. We don't really know what the underlying theory is. Um, But I mean, for example, you could imagine a bubble universe that forms and gravity is so strong that it just collapses again in a millisecond. There may be many universes like that. So that might be... You know, as you say, that might be a universe that we consider was just never got going. So it's undoubtedly that lots That's
1: a gibberish of that a universe. That's a gibberish universe. <laughs> universe. So it might just about form <laughs> and then collapse again, for example. You'll know you'll know if you meet a life form from there, because it's just like...
2: <laughs> yeah. So not only are the laws of physics... Gibberish, so is their language, right? That's what exactly. you're saying.
3: <laughs> I just want to emphasize, this is speculative stuff. So the string landscape, as I said, Leonard Susskind's book is great on this. Uh, and then the link, though, it's interesting that inflation, which Neil will know about as well, that's a theory that was introduced initially just to um, deal with something called the horizon problem. You mentioned the horizon. It's essentially the, the unexplained point that if you look out look in one direction out into the universe as far as you can, and then turn around and look in the other direction. Then you're looking at points that emitted light that we're receiving now, that now in the universe is something like 93 billion, I think it is, light years away, right? Yeah, it's it around there, the
1: universe.
3: Yeah. So you're looking yeah. at points that in the standard model of things could never have been in contact with each other, and yet are at the same temperature. to so one part in 100,000, which is an observation. So that means uh, and
2: inflation was initially... So just a quick thing, Chuck. I think we did an explainer on this. Yeah, uh, there was something where I was talking about uh, that the universe yeah, has we, a we- has a more uniform
1: temperature than right. different parts of the same room you're in. Yeah, right. right? Well, that's because we were we with that explainer we were talking about redshifting is kind of how we got into. Oh, it. that's how we got there because I was saying yeah. you have an air conditioner in a corner, you have a heater over there, and you're
2: fine right. if it's a five degree range in a room that's talking to itself thermodynamically. Yeah. And now we have across the whole freaking universe, and it's, when, uh, it's within a hundred thousandth of a degree, yeah. which is completely mind-boggling freaky, and we needed a freaky explanation. Yeah. So
3: inflation was the idea that once upon a time they were in contact. And then the universe expanded very, 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 very fast for a, for a, probably a small amount of time. Um, and, so, and so we thought that they couldn't have been in contact with with each other, but in fact they were. And so that's why why inflation right. was introduced, but it ended up. Interesting. It ended up doing several things that it was not designed to do initially. One was that the thing that drives inflation, which has got a fancy name called the on field, but it doesn't matter. Oh, uh,
1: it's 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 a uh, it's a breakdown in the supply yeah. chain. <laughs> inflation. <laughs> oh, it makes
3: that look <laughs> trivial. <laughs> right. uh, the, the two,
1: two points were. Doubling
3: in this, if you take the two points in the universe, then they double the distance between them, doubled every 10 to the minus 37 seconds in the the basic models of inflation. So it's much worse than we're going through now with prices. It's an incredible exponential expansion. Um, <laughs> <laughs>
2: but in look- much worse, is an understatement, yeah, there, yeah, just to be clear. But in
3: looking at that, mm-hmm. um, uh, Stephen Hawking actually was involved in this, and many physicists in the 80s
2: found that these theories, Wait, just say sec- Chuck, Chuck. Last time we did this, he said Stephen was involved in this. I know, yeah. He,
1: he's cleaning it up this <laughs> he's time. Clean, the he's he's t- yeah. he's been a little said, better. Stephen Hawking
2: <laughs> We got to hear the last <laughs> name. Stephen, <here>. <laughs> <laughs> last name
1: Stephen
3: here. Kit Lenny, <laughs> all those people. So, yeah. this time, so so that that theory it was discovered predicted that there would be ripples in the density of particles in the universe through the Big Bang as inflation drew to a close, which are the ripples that we see in the cosmic microwave background radiation, which you may have talked about, and also actually in the distribution of galaxies across the sky. So there's a distribution. They're not just completely random across the sky. There are patterns in the galactic distribution. And that was predicted before it was observed by this theory. So the theory is interesting and textbook, right, you'll find it in cosmology textbooks, but the eternal inflation bit, which is kind of an add on to that, ends up with this idea that inflation doesn't stop everywhere at the same time, basically. So you get multiple bubble universes. And then that theory it was noticed that that's a mechanism to realise the string landscape which gives you the possibility of varying the laws of nature in each of those bubbles. So that was the history. So it's not just—it sounds fantastical, but it's not just like somebody just dreamt it up one day and said this
2: would be great. Right. Cool. right. I try to threat. make that clear because otherwise they think we're just pulling stuff out of our ass, yeah. and it's—it's it's, uh, even if it is out of our ass, it's very carefully withdrawn. <laughs> <laughs> it's very
1: careful. By the way, that's uh, that's one other universe. <laughs> 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 yeah. <laughs> Uh, with a central black hole. Yes. Yeah.
2: Time to go to the next question.
1: Oh, no. yeah, we, Time we to, to go to, to the next that. question. Oh. Okay. I oh, love it. Yeah. <laughs> okay, here we go. Hitty uh says this, Hello, Dr. Tyson, Dr. Cox, and Lord Nice, and I bet you can't pronounce my name correctly. I. I you win that bet. <laughs> get no argument from me. Uh... <laughs> and the name is I was what? asking. What, his what's name the name is HIDDE uh W A A G E M A N S I said Hitty Wegmans okay uh and he's from the Netherlands so that oh dutch. oh it's that's that's how to
2: pronounce that yeah yeah
1: he de you know. Wegmans maybe maybe okay. he de Wegmans okay, Wegmans. okay. Wegmans. and it, yes it's mm-hmm. if yeah if it's dutch it's... <laughs> Um, He says, I'm asking myself after I watched the movie The Atom Project if you really can time travel with wormholes. By the way, oh, here we go. Uh, Chuck Hitty is pronounced hidden without the N. Who knew? Well, here there. There so, you go. Here there. Yeah, wormholes. Okay. Yeah, you got to reach to the end so he can help you pronounce it. So
2: people I, I help listen, you out that there. Is
1: ch- that is too much work, <laughs> <laughs> All right, so, so, so Brian, we're talking about
2: time travel and wormholes. Uh, I presume, we, I, I think everyone knows with Einstein Relativity, you can travel into a future, all right? Or at least into the future of where you once were. So let's confine this to can you go backwards in time? Do wormholes enable this? Wormholes
3: are getting increasingly interesting, actually, um, particularly in the study of black holes. We can we can get onto that, but um, so yes, uh, wormholes are allowed geometries in Einstein's theory, of general relativity. If you just take that theory alone, what do I mean by that? So it, they really are shortcuts through space and time. So you could imagine, you know, traveling from New York to Sydney. It takes a long time. You go around the surface of the Earth, or you could tunnel through, and you could get there quicker. So so yes, if wormholes exist and you could travel through them, and they were big enough and stable enough, then you can build a time machine. And now, virtually every physicist who works on this, and Kip Thorne, actually, who got Nobel Prize for Gravitational Waves, did quite a lot of interesting work on this. Um,
2: it, it looks like when you bring... And he was the main advisor in the movie He Interstellar. Was, yeah. He was, in fact, an executive Which producer. has a wormhole. And the robot in that movie was named Kit. It was. And way. it has a wormhole. I do oh. that.
3: So, yeah. Um, yeah. And he also actually suggested to Carl Sagan in Contact that wormholes were used in the film. In, in the, the movie and Contact. The book, contact. And the yeah. novel, in in the novel. In the story. So, um, so mm-hmm. the, when you add quantum mechanics into the mix, which is the theory of everything else, because our universe hasn't just got gravity in it, it's got all sorts of other things in it as well, obviously atoms and electromagnetic radiation and so on then it seems like the wormholes are inherently unstable, the big ones. And if you try to travel through one, it collapses. And they, they were called Einstein-Rosen bridges before they were wormholes. And they're, they're built into the basic description of a, of a black hole. If the black hole had, listed, uh, had lived forever, it's called the, it's, uh, the maximally extended Schwarzschild metric, right, whatever it's called. But it was, mm-hmm. that which was discovered by Schwarzschild in 1916, just after the theory was published, then there's a wormhole in there, right? So they're just fundamental to the theory, but most physicists believe. And Stephen Hawking wrote a paper actually called the Chronology Protection Conjecture, mm-hmm. conjecture, where he thought about this. Oh, that, that there will be. He unstable. was a rapper. <laughs> yeah, chronolo- chronolo- been, I can't even say it. You can say it. I can't say it. Chronology Protection <laughs> Conjecture. Um, but uh, that the, these things would not be stable, and you can't travel through them, so you can't build time machines. However, it's worth saying that wormholes are becoming very, very fashionable now in what's called the ER equals EPR paradigm. So Einstein-Rosen, E.R. is Einstein-Rosen, this thing from the 1930s where Einstein and Rosen noticed that they these geometries exist in space-time or can exist. EPR is Einstein, Podolsky and Rosen, spooky action at a distance. It's quantum entanglement. And so what now is very fashionable and looks... It's one of the best explanations of how information gets out of a black hole, is that this plays a role. So, you can, there's a kind of a dual description. So, we've got quantum entanglement, which is this spooky action at a distance thing where you separate things to large distances and they're still um, linked in some way. Um, the linked in some way is starting to look possibly like you can describe that in terms of wormholes, microscopic wormholes linking them together. Mm. But this is really, this is stuff that's been done now, 2020, 2022. So it's, um, it's on the edge, but people are taking it very seriously.
2: Okay, so wait, well, we, let's let's pause there and come back. But, all right, now you've established that we agree we can think about wormholes, but you haven't told us how to go backwards in time. When we come back, Brian Cox is going to tell you how to go back <laughs> and not
1: kill your parents. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> and I can tell you an even simpler way. If you really want to go backwards in time, get married and do something wrong, <laughs> because she will never let you forget. forget. <laughs> Thank you, Chuck, for your marital, splitting your
2: marital issues into this podcast. (laughs) Star Talk will return with Brian Cox. We're going to find out how to go back in time. Be there.
0: You know what shouldn't feel like rocket science? Planning a vacation your whole crew will love. With Carnival Cruise Line, it's all up to you. You can kick back or dive right into the fun. Paddleboard in the crystal clear waters of one of Carnival's exclusive destinations, Half Moon Quay in the Bahamas. Take an ATV ride through the jungle or just relax on white sandy Caribbean beaches. The fun continues on ship, from a ride on the Bolt roller coaster to a moment of pure bliss at the Cloud Nine Spa. Kick off the evening with a craft cocktail at any Book your dream vacation at Carnival.com. Ships Registry, The Bahamas, and Panama.
1: eBay Motors is here for the ride. You saw the potential.
2: Star Talk, Cosmic Queries. You've got Chuck, of course, and Brian Cox, my friend and colleague from the UK, is uh, taking the United States by storm and a little bit of Canada in a multi- dozens of cities. He's bringing his major theatrical production. Uh, uh, do you give it, give it a title, or is it just everything you want to know about where we are in the universe? How about that? <laughs> is that the title? Horizons. Horizons, there it is. And Brian Cox, you can find his schedule in briancoxlive.co.uk. Just do a Google on Brian Cox Live. It'll send you there. And you can see the whole schedule. And he's coming through town with a hugely visually spectacular display. And this is what, you know, this is what stages are for. If the universe is the biggest stage of them all, he's brought the universe onto into theaters. So Brian, welcome to town for this. So we left off with uh, describing wormholes and I have to tell the story. Just I have Brian, I have to tell this, okay? Uh, Chuck. So Brian, you just stay on the side while I tell this to Chuck. So Chuck, I'm in the I'm in London and I'm a guest on Brian's show and we're talking about okay. space travel and space exploration and uh, and he's got a whole audience there, and they're all UK people, okay? And they kind of I'm they're new to me and I'm a little new to them, but they know Brian. But And they know I'm American. So I talk about the future of space travel. And I say, maybe, you know, no, chemical rockets are not going to work. In order to do this, we need, like, warp drives or ideally wormholes. And then we can do this. And Brian kicks in and said, wormholes are unstable and they'll collapse and you can't do this. He's correct, but that's not the point. (laughs) The point was the audience, do you remember what the audience said? The audience said, that's why the Americans discover everything. Yeah. <laughs> because they're so optimistic about everything. That's why they went to the moon and we're stuck here in London. And so you lost your audience on that comment, Brian. It's true. And I had them from that true, <laughs> true. because they, they liked my American uh, in, uh, some of it's just me, but then I realized a lot of it's just American enthusiasm. Yeah. So so Brian, how do you use wormholes to actually travel backwards in time? Is that possible?
3: Well, so yeah, if, if, if they were stable, or you could stabilize them in some way, then you could use them as time machines. Um, and uh, that's considered to be unlikely. Um, mm. But it, it really is true to say that we, do, well, it's very true to say we don't have what's called a quantum theory of gravity. So we don't really, in any sense, understand the, the deep merger between relativity and quantum mechanics, which you need to understand to answer that question. Um, and many mm-hmm. physicists point out that we don't, You know, it, it feels like it's no way to build the universe. I mean, we're, we're all aware of back to the future. We've all seen back to the future. We all know the paradoxes that happen if you if time travel is a reality. So, so I think if you pushed most physicists and said, don't be formal about it and don't say what I just said, which is we don't understand quantum gravity yet, um, then most physicists would say, okay, we think the laws of nature will be such that there aren't stable, macroscopic, big wormholes. Um, That's what I think most physicists would say. So you could have a universe uh, which permitted time travel and was not full of contradictions if there were no free will at all. So the whole universe itself is completely consistent and the time travel is built into the consistency. So that's a, and that's actually what you see in Interstellar. So that that happens in the plot of Interstellar. He can't okay. stop it. I'm not, spoilers, you know, but he can't stop himself leaving his daughter's room in the past.
2: Uh, and by the way, that's that's also what happened in the story Slaughterhouse-Five by Kurt Vonnegut, mm. which is a time travel story on top of being a World War II story. But his as and I, I think Kurt Vonnegut got it right. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Brian. He just described your life is always there. You're always being born. You're always dying. You're always right. in school. You're always in love, and you just rejoin where you were on yeah, that timeline were. and relive that. Kip
3: Thorne's birthday party. There's a proceedings. So, so Neil, on a, when we go scientific conferences, you have a proceedings. So it's a big thing. And Stephen Hawking gave a, a talk, and it's written up. In the proceedings of his birthday party, because he's so eminent, and, it, and Stephen said um, said that Kip has become increasingly interested in time travel through wormholes as he's got older. <laughs> that's how he started. So <laughs> <how> he started. <laughs> <right. Exactly>. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs>
2: that's
1: good. Uh,
2: that's good. That's good. I, I chuck. Well, this is our third of three segments. Uh, Give me, give me a few, see if you can slip in a few more questions here. Before All right,
1: we here we go. This is this Catherine Cellarini-Moore, who says, Dr. Tyson, Dr. Cox, Lord Nice, hoping that you can hear Dr. Cox elaborate on, he alluded to in his YouTube video regarding time and space not being the stuff from which everything else is derived. Rather, that time and space may be derivative of something much bigger,
2: Ooh, much or deeper. deeper.
1: Yeah, this comes deeper. from the, uh, yeah. <laughs> the study of black holes um, primarily.
3: And the, the I would say it's fair to say the cutting edge as of now is that it looks like space and time emerge from quantum entanglement. So we mentioned entanglement. Um, before. I should say what it is, by the way. Shall I say what it is? Sure, sure, so, sure. So mm-hmm. I- I imagine you have a, a, a coin and you can toss it and it can come up heads and tails. Um, if it was a quantum coin and there's two of them, they can be in what we call a state such that you could separate these coins out across the Milky Way to the edges of the universe. And you just look at one of them and you could toss it and it would be heads and tails. So you can look at it and it's heads, you look at it again, it's tails. 50% of the time looks completely normal. But actually, if you got back together after doing lots of experiments on this thing, you would find that the coins never came up heads at the same time or tails at the same time. They are always heads, tails plus tails, heads, or heads, tails or tails, heads, right? They're, they're always opposite. So you can build a quantum state like that. That's called entanglement. So it's an interesting thing. It's kind of um, it's like the information, all the information contained in this system of two coins, is somehow spread between them, and they don't behave as individual entities, even if you separate them to vast distances. So that's entanglement. Is that because
2: they because they're because they're not just coins, they're also waves, and the waves know about each other outside of the local place no. where the coin is getting flipped. No, it's it's um. If that's the truth, then I've been saying it wrong all these no, years. No,
3: no, they um, they. Really, they are, the best way to consider it is it's a it's a single system. And the, the information, the structure of the system is, is a property of the whole thing. I mean, that's the Why isn't that way the
2: wave function? Think.
3: That's got to be the wave oh, function. Oh, it is the wave, yeah. So so you can write. Oh, that's, so, the, the true. Way, that's what I'm trying so to the say. The wave yeah. function, okay. you write it down. It'd be uh, heads, tails, plus tails, heads. Is an example of okay. a wave function, and for the for the geeks mm-hmm. there, we can have a one over root two there in front of each one, everyone equal probabilities. But you've it, gone too far, Brian. You had me at wave. You lost
1: <laughs> me at one over root well,
2: whatever. So
1: Anyway,
2: so that's an entangled system, and Wait, it, Deep in there is that the 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 there is a term that's squared in the wave function. So he's got to put the square root of 2 so that when you square that, it becomes a Yeah, if I want the 50 okay, thing. Um, yeah, he, he, yeah, that was a missing piece of what he yeah, was saying there. It's okay. the amplitude. Go ahead. Right. But, uh, mm-hmm. so, um,
3: so that's entanglement. It's, it's a fundamentally quantum mechanical thing, and it's very well understood, and we use it in technology and quantum cryptography and so on. So it's a thing. It, this is how the universe works. And it does seem as if, um, as I mentioned before, the idea that you can also interpret that as having wormholes connecting these things together. I love it. Essentially what you're seeing is that entanglement and space are intimately related. Um, That's the the modern way of looking at this, the very modern way. And uh, I, I think it's fair to say that most physicists would say that the entanglement is the fundamental thing. And so we're beginning to think now that you have a theory of quantum mechanics, quantum field theories um, on some surface or something. And then the entanglement actually produces the space. I mean, it's true to say that entanglement, I've seen it said, which is a beautiful thing to say, that entanglement is sort of the glue that keeps space together. And so entanglement mm-hmm. is, seems, is fundamentally related to space. Mm-hmm. And, uh, well, time, but it's more, more obscure how it relates. So that's the
2: next uh, sci-fi frontier because uh, the latest... Uh, Dr. Strange is uh, madness through the multiverse or something. So they got the multiverse in there and he's opening up portals, which are basically wormholes as he you know, jiggles his hand. So now we got to somehow get down into the very fabric of the space and time itself. That would be good. All right. Chuck, we got just a couple but see if we can go into like uh, lightning mode, lightning round okay, here. Okay, if go. we can.
1: Uh, well, let's lighten things up here with uh, Lindahl Fries who says, uh, Dr. Tyson, Dr. Ty- Dr. Cox, uh, Chuck, here is, uh, is there a parameter edge of the universe and where in relation to that edge is the earth or the Milky Way located? Are we closer or farther to the center of the universe? Also, how do we know the universe is expanding? And is it just that our instruments are getting stronger? Okay, so we Much need that in well. a sound bite. <laughs>
3: <laughs> so, so no, we're, we're not at the centre of the universe. We're at the centre of the observable universe because that's just a piece that we can see. But um, the universe right. extends way beyond that horizon, and uh, so it could be infinite in extent. But we don't know. So, um, but it's much bigger, I think, than the piece we can see. So, no, we're not at the centre of the universe. It might be an infinite universe, and um, we know it's expanding just very simply because we look at light from distant objects, and that light is stretched. And the 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 uh, the explanation is that you've, light is a wave and it's traveling through expanding space. And so it gets stretched as it journeys. And what, the, the, the basic observation, all the way back to Hubble, is that the further
2: away you see... Hubble, the person.
3: The further away the thing is, the more the light is stretched when it reaches us. And that's what you would expect if space were expanding. Um, essentially, at a uniform rate. It's actually changing a bit. It's expanding a bit faster now. Um,
2: okay, so, so there is no, so if we went, if we said, I want to go to my horizon, let's, Chuck, let's leave tomorrow. So then yes. what would we see?
3: We, you'd see the same universe as far as we know. So you could go to the horizon um, and uh, look around and you'd see a, a completely uniform universe with the same kind of distribution of galaxies. So So it's like a
2: ship at sea, it's carrying its horizon with it. Yeah, so yes, that's
3: a good example. If you go to the horizon on on your boat and go to the horizon Mm -hmm. 20 miles away, whatever it is, um, and then uh, I probably got that number wrong, and now all the flat earth people will go, see,
2: didn't know, because (laughs) there is a horizon, whatever it is. (laughs) It's way closer than 20 miles unless you're in a crow's nest. Okay, right. So so you go to the horizon and Mm
3: -hmm. you just see ocean, and you go to the next horizon you just see ocean, and that's what the universe is like as far as we can tell. With, yeah. Minus the fish. I
1: mean, that's as simple as going to the top of a hill. You experience that anytime like you're driving up a hill or on a bike. You look at the top of the hill, and it just looks like that's the end. You get at the top of the hill, and it's just more of the same. More, more, it's on. just more you know, this time you're looking down. Yeah. That's cool. All right. All right. Let, let's go to Alain Bredo. This might be says, the last question we have time for. Okay, okay, go. Alain says this. Hey, Neil, Chuck, and Professor Cox, uh, um, we have electron microscopes to probe smaller stuff than with regular light microscopes. Do you think somebody is going to come up with a quark microscope or something Ooh. of that nature that will enable us to see even smaller or get closer to those strings Ooh, I love is it. Cool. that theorists fantasize about? An wow, an wait, 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 wait.
2: Let me just set that up just real quick. So regular microscopes use... Visible light and visible light has certain wavelengths. So, if you really think about it, a visible light telescope can't see anything smaller than the wavelength of light you're using because the light would just wash over it and wouldn't be able to bring it into focus. So, electron microscopes use basically, I think, Brian, is it X rays? because electrons and X-rays are the same thing at certain, you can you can beam electrons to have an energy level of that of an X-ray, and X-rays has really small wavelengths. Yeah. So now you can see detail way smaller than visible light. So this questioner knows it's this really cool. about electron microscopes. It's a great and question. And wants to take it another step. And there's a really great so
3: fundamental point to make here, which goes to black hole physics actually again, is that, um so as you make, um, if, you, if you take the wavelength down, Quantum mechanics allows you to think of um, light as a wave or as a stream of particles called photons. And as you shrink the wavelength, the energy of the photon goes up. So that's just basic quantum mechanics. So the smaller the wavelength, the higher the energy. So you get to a point where if you want to probe smaller and smaller distances, what actually happens is you make a black hole because you put so much energy into the small piece of space that a black hole forms. And then as you put more energy in, the black hole grows. And so, um, so you end up reversing that process because, it, because what? as the black hole grows, then you get less and less resolution again. <laughs> so there's a limit um, to how wait, small wait, wait,
2: wait, you can wait. see. So I'll step in here because Chuck didn't. You kept talking after you said, yeah, first you make the black hole, and then you continue. <laughs> well, you, so you, you put more and more energy in. So I'm saying this sounds dangerous.
3: <laughs> it's an in-principle <laughs> argument, right? Uh, in-principle? But, oh, it's a thought right. experiment. So the point okay. is okay. that you get that's... to a point where if you try to cram more and more energy into a smaller and smaller amount of space, which you have to do to see the small thing, you have to get more energy in, right? The smaller
2: wavelength. then you, because you're using photons that are higher or and higher or anything, energy, yes, higher or, higher or, higher or energy. anything,
3: electrons or whatever it is, then yeah. then you form. There comes a point where you form a black hole
1: in that region, and then you and then yeah. you can't see anything yeah. because your microscope got sucked in <laughs> because you, <did. laughs> <If> you, <laughs> you, you you'll You'll have less resolution.
3: So 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 it's called. <laughs> now, Leonard Susskind writes about it, and it's called. Well, so ignoring the complication UV, that you'd be
2: dead, and well, ignoring the complication that you'd be dead and you've destroyed the Earth, you'd have less resolution. No, on you wouldn't the because it's be a
3: tiny yes. mine, tiny black hole. So you wouldn't you wouldn't tiny. notice it, except you'd stop seeing. Yeah. So you can't probe smaller and smaller distances forever. I think Susskind calls it the UVIR connection, ultraviolet infrared connection. I think that's what he calls it. So, um, but it, but it's a fundamental property of the universe. So black holes stop you from doing that, Man. going to smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller distances. Those pesky black holes. Yeah. And yes. again, it's fundamental. <laughs> it's, it's it's pointing to fundamental physics. So we go all the way mm-hmm. back to this idea of space and time and the link to quantum.
2: Right, right. Dude, we got to wrap it up there. Oh my gosh, did we wow. cover the universe here? Whoa, whoa. Uh, I know you're active on Twitter. Where, where else are you active? Because you're Prof Brian Cox on At Twitter. Prof Brian, Cox. Uh, where else yeah. are you?
3: I'm on Facebook as well, um, but um, Twitter is my usual mode of mode of communication. I don't know why. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <So> mm-hmm.
2: Just a <laughs> <an laughs> habit, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's a yeah. habit. It's quick and yeah. quick and easy and and, and, and sharp. And so, uh, so it's been a delight to have you on this Cosmic Queries on this, his British invasion of North America. <laughs> So, you The Brian St- is coming. The Brian is coming. The <laughs> Brian is coming, uh, bringing his Horizons tour through multiple cities. Check it out, briancoxlive.co.uk. Brian, always great to see you and hear from you, and we'll connect again. Chuck, love you, man. Love you too. All always right. A pleasure. Neil deGrasse Tyson here, your personal astrophysicist. As always, keep looking up.